Welcome back to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about all things website optimization, how to improve your conversion rate so you can make more sales on your website. And to join me uh, to talk about this topic is John McDonald. John, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. I have been following you for some time now. I, I think I found you when you were doing some teardowns of websites live, and I just thought this content is absolute gold. And I recently got an email from you that talked about your work with The Telegraph, which is a huge uh, you know, media publication, especially here in the UK where I am, and uh, really grabbed my attention. I thought, man, this guy is absolutely crushing it at another level. And so uh, I wanted to get you on the show and ask you about all things conversion rate optimization. Before we dive into the questions, I uh, would love for you to introduce yourself to anybody that doesn't know who you are, you know, your journey with e-commerce and, and, and what you do with your agency right now. Sure. So founder and CEO at The Good. Uh, the Good is a conversion rate optimization firm. So we help brands to convert more of their existing visitors into customers. So we don't do anything with driving traffic. We focus exclusively on on-site optimization. Uh, we've been doing this for over 13 years now. So we're wow. one of the, the very early players in what is now known as conversion rate optimization. Yeah. Um, we originally started out as an e-commerce development shop, and we did optimization as well and uh, came to find out very quickly that that is really where we were uniquely skilled and at the same time, that's where the demand was for our mm -hmm. services and it was why people were working with us. So we uh, transitioned pretty quickly into just doing optimization. Uh, at the time, we called it continual optimization. Now it's you know very well known as conversion rate optimization and um, yeah, so like you mentioned, work with brands large and small, uh, Nike, Xerox, Adobe, Telegraph, The Economist, uh, as well as hundreds of, of mid-sized brands over that that de decade or so. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. So. Awesome, man. You say we. Are you working with a big team now? Yeah, so um, I'm headquartered in Portland, Oregon, uh, United States, and we have uh, folks throughout the country. Um, we're, we're almost entirely U.S.-based. Uh, we do have some development help uh, overseas that uh, that we work with, um, but yeah, the uh, you know really it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. um, these days, quite honestly, I'm rarely doing actual client work. Um, I'm mainly uh, you know looking forward. That that's how I view you know we're we're at a large enough size that I need to be keeping my eye on where we're going, what the trends are, where we're. Uh, been leading the team in that direction, right? Leading the charge. Yeah. So uh, in terms of the day-to-day -day client work, you know, my goal was always when I started out to hire people that were smarter than me yeah, and, and set them up for success and um, feel very fortunate that, that that's the case. So. Yeah, awesome. What kind of roles are there in a CRO agency? Yeah, so um, this is the interesting part about CRO. You can't go to school for it. There's no school. For that, it's yeah. it's it's really interesting. Uh, it's such a, a, a diverse and, and unique skill set, um, and you need to be able to pull in several different items. And this is where the vast majority of general marketing or e-commerce firms who all list conversion rate optimization as maybe a bullet point on their their list of services. Uh, this is where I start to call BS. 
because you can't have one person on your team that you say is your CRO expert. Um, it's really, really hard to be very good at everything that's necessary because there's data science and uh, you know you need to know how to do some programming, front end development in order to be able to build out tests. You need to be able to talk to people and understand and have empathy for humans. And I, this is somebody, I, I have a computer science degree and I have had to work so hard to be able to not only talk to computers, but also be able to talk to humans. <laughs> and it's a, it, they're two different skill sets, right? Yeah. And so, you know, in addition to that, you need to have some design ability um, or at least understand visual design and user experience uh, as well. And have, you know, just a deep empathy for the people who are encountering these challenges on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Um, and then have some business sense about why you would run a test and um, you know how that fits into the bigger picture of the goals of the brand you're running it for. Yeah. So and when it comes down to, to all of that, generally we're, we're set up in a pod structure here. So every okay. client we work with um, gets a pod assigned to them. And that pod consists of a, a senior strategist, a junior strategist, a data scientist, uh, a project manager, and a front-end developer. And then we have floating roles around design and copywriting, uh, things of that sort that you know can float between clients as needed. Uh, but again, these strategists are are really they're jacks of all trades, um, and they you know each of our strategists has unique skill sets where they go a lot deeper. So, for instance, we have strategists who are experts at user testing. And uh, by user testing, I mean that they have a really good understanding of how to ask appropriate questions that aren't leading. So if you're doing user testing, this is where you're going to send people to your site who match your ideal customer profiles. You're going to ask them to complete some tasks. And while you do that, you're going to record their screen and their audio. Now, the benefit of this is you get to understand what people are thinking not just what they're doing. Now, the data science side of that, uh, the more uh, quantitative data, is all going to be around analytics, heat maps, scroll maps, click maps. Um, you know, A-B testing is really a quantitative uh, data set. So all of that is numbers-based that you can look at and say, in a, in a trailing fashion, what has happened? Yeah. But you don't understand the why behind it until you start talking to people. And so we have experts that, that are experts in, in both, but they, we have trained them up over the years uh, to uh, be able to, to do everything, uh, at least a little bit, right? But again, they're not going to be experts in the entire process. And we understand that and provide support uh, where we need to there. Yeah, awesome. That's a comprehensive explanation. I appreciate that. Um, coming right back to the beginning then of conversion rate optimization for a new beginner on the topic. Uh, I mentioned to you we have a, a big audience of Amazon sellers that mm. would like to build out the brand side, direct to consumer. And when they create their website, they're used to 10, 15, 20% conversion rates on Amazon. And then all of a sudden they got 1% on their Shopify site. Um, you know, what, what should they be looking for as a, a benchmark for a good conversion rate? Well, it's interesting. I get asked this question 
probably a dozen times a day. Um, <laughs> every call that I'm on with, uh, with somebody who wants to work with the good or interviews like this. And, and they always say, you know, John, what's a good conversion rate? And they're all looking for a specific number. But the reality is a good conversion rate is one that is always improving. Right. And, and that's the only way to look at this. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I wrote my second book and came out with it late last year. It's called Opting Into Optimization. And there's a whole chapter in there about why you shouldn't copy or look to your competition. And um, there's a great illustration in the front of, of that chapter um, that really makes the point. And it's uh, a gentleman riding a horse in the middle of a horse race. And he's on his laptop and he's leading and he's got blinders on and his horse does too. And then there's somebody who's trailing a little bit behind him that's also on his laptop, but that's looking behind him. And he's losing because he's looking behind him, trying to look at what everyone else is doing. And the challenge here is when you start looking at your competitors, um, you know, you, you really start picking up what you think is working, but you really have no idea. And if you just took that effort and put it focused on your own conversion rate and then just look to improve that 1% every day, um, just really just make small, very small incremental improvements, uh, you will watch that gain very quickly because conversion rates have a compounding effect, right? You really, you can start building on it and growing it over time by sustained effort Unfortunately, too many brands try to improve their conversion rate by just applying the latest hack or the latest trick or latest app, Shopify app that they see. And they say, oh, everyone else is using this. I should use it too. And we see this all the time in the Shopify ecosystem where this app, uh, you know, several of them this is done, but they just blow up. Everybody's using them. And then six months later, nobody has it on their site. Because it really didn't work for anybody. Everyone just saw that everyone else had it installed. So like, it must be working and I'll do it. Um, so really, you know, if you're really going to focus on what a good conversion rate is, you, you need to measure yours, your conversion rate. Be consistent about how you're measuring it, right? Uh, what tool set you're measuring it in because every tool set's going to show you something different. Like you mentioned, there's a big disparity between Amazon and DTC. Uh, well, even in DTC, if you're looking at it and tracking it through Google Analytics or tools mm -hmm. like Triple Whale or any of these other tools that are out there, you're going to have different numbers. So you need to have a single source of truth and then just look to, comp uh, to, to grow that and show compounding effect. You will uh, really see some impressive gains. Yeah, that's awesome. What are the first things when you start to work with a new client, they've never done any conversion rate optimization as such. What are the first things that you usually see the common, uh, you know, failings of a, uh, you know, a store yeah. that's really harming the conversion rate? Yeah, two things. Um, one is they're talking about themselves a lot mm. instead of focusing on the needs of the consumer. And this is a great thing that Amazon does and why it converts so high is it's 100% geared on solving the problems that the consumer has. They start searching for a product on there they think is going to solve their problem and then they can easily compare options and deduce, is this going to solve my problem or not, very quickly. The problem, you go to a direct-to-consumer e-com site and the first thing that happens is brands start talking about themselves. They have things like about us in the navigation, our press, 
they start putting all these quotes up about how great they are or video from the founder about their story. And I'm like, look, as a consumer, there are, I'm only at your site for two reasons. And this is the only two reasons in over a decade of optimization that we've heard from consumers that they're on an e-commerce website. They have a pain or a need that they are looking to solve. And something led them to believe that your brand can help solve that pain or need. Maybe it was an ad you ran, a referral, something they saw on social, right? But something said, oh, I have that pain too. I bet these guys can help me. So they go to your site. Once they're at your site, they want to convert as quickly and easily as possible and get on with their lives. They're not there to learn about your brand. They're not there to you know, do anything other than solve the problem that yeah. they think you can help them with. But so many brands uh, just feel like they have to tell the world their story. Now, I'm not suggesting that brand story isn't important. It is. It's just not important uh, right up front like consumers think that it is, uh, excuse me, brands think that it is, yeah. right? So my whole point on this is that brands really need to take a step back and say, how can I help solve the consumer's pain or need and make sure that I'm communicating that there's a good fit here and what makes a good fit and then work your brand story in in a supporting fashion to that, right? Okay, great. I'm going to tell you why on the product detail page, this is gonna help solve a particular pain. And as the founder, I'm gonna put a video on there that tells you why I started the company because I had that pain too. And here's what led me to this solution. And now I'm offering it to you as well. That is so much more powerful than me getting on the homepage and saying, you know, oh, well, here's my story. We've been doing this for 12 years and you know, whatever it might be, right? So that's one of the first things. The second thing is that consumers just, aren't talking or brands just aren't talking to their consumers. They aren't interviewing them. They're not asking enough questions. Um, they're looking inward. And um, it's interesting. I, I, I'm a firm believer that um, you can't read the label from inside the jar. And if you are so close to your website, you have no idea what it's like for a new to file customer. So if you're a brand and you know all of your products, you know the categories, you know why you want to sell something and, and how to navigate your website because you probably helped, had a big hand in putting it together. You're not equipped to understand what a consumer is looking to accomplish. And so you really need to go out and talk to those consumers so that when they come to your website, you know, they're giving you that fresh perspective and you'll be able to meet their needs. And this is why I, I love your content because it kind of goes against the grain sometimes because, mm. you, you know, for me or for a lot of people, I think, you know, we feel like about us needs to be one of the first things in the menu. But I've heard you say, you know, you shouldn't even put that in the menu, the top top mm. navigation menu. Not at Which all. Like, I, it, the top navigation should be how you're solving the, the pain or need of the consumer who's visiting. Nine out of 10 times, that's going to be product focused. And, yeah. and that's what's going to sell. Yeah, let, let's talk about that because it was you who, when I first started you hearing, first started hearing you talk about this, it was a yeah a mindset shift because yeah I'm I'm like get the about us in there, get the link to the blog in there, and you're like no 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 don't do any of those things. Talk to us about your you know your mindset of how you go about mm -hmm. that navigational menu because it's really important, right? 
Yeah, it is very important because the first thing a consumer is going to do when they get to your homepage, maybe they've clicked that ad or just landed on your site somehow. The first thing they're going to do is they're going to look at your navigation to see, orient themselves, right? It's wayfinding. And it's called wayfinding for a reason because you're helping them find their way around your site. And the reality is if they are, you know, when I first get to a site, I don't really want to go to a blog, right? And that's, I I often look at blog and I always tell people remove that from your main navigation because the blog is higher up in the funnel than your homepage. Mm -hmm. It's going to convert way lower. It's great for driving traffic, getting found for search engine optimization purposes, horrible for conversions. Um, Getting a blog page to convert is, is is a massive challenge. Uh, there are ways to do it and influence that, but it's still never going to convert as highly as the rest of your site. And that's okay because you're getting people to your site and then you need to lead them in down that funnel. But if you put blog up in your main navigation, you're sending people back up the funnel instead of down. Yeah. So you're, you're really harming yourself. Um, about us in the navigation, again, you as a consumer who just came, I'm worried about me. Right, I'm worried. I'm here because I have a problem, and you're going to help me solve it. I don't. I'm not ready to learn about you. I'm not interested in in you. I'm interested in can your product solve my pain or need? Yeah. Um. And that's just the reality of the situation. Now, is that does that matter as a reassurance tool? Okay, I have found as a consumer that your main navigation has product categories that are going to be helpful for me. I'm going to dive deeper now and click on one of those categories and see what products are available. Hopefully you have some filtering, some ways to help me kind of even narrow that down more, right? Once I've done that, I'm looking at the product. Now reassurance is really important. The reassurance that you're going to be helpful should I have a problem, that you have a brand I want to give my money to, uh, that you stand for the same things I stand for, right? So maybe that's where... You know, being things like a B corporation or one for one percent for the planet or any of those type of things, maybe those things are, are things I care about. But at the very least, there's signals that I'm doing business with somebody that I would want to be yeah. uh, doing business with, right? Yeah, you bring up a good point about uh, we talk about it a lot. The idea of charitable giving, you know, we want to feel like we do something good for the community, mm-hmm. but it's another debate. Where does that belong? Where does that info belong? Do, mm-hmm. Does someone actually care? Does it help conversions? You know, if of course you would hope that someone's doing it for for good reasons, but if they, you know, they want to know that it's going to boost conversions <laughs> as well, like does it? Uh, what have you seen? Yeah, on that? I've always thought that, and consumers do too. We find in our um, user testing that things like one percent for the planet. Um, are the easy button. Um, even like product red, uh, you know, Apple's huge with that, um, but it's a cause they believe in. But um, a lot of brands will do these types of, of simple things where they can just say, oh, you know, I'm just going to give 1% of our profits and, and be done with it, right? And they think that that's going to help sell more product. That's clearly, almost always clearly why they're doing it. If you do something that is a little deeper, like a B corporation, where you have to go through a certification process and you have to have some core tenants that you are operating by, sustainability, um, you know, you're putting people in planet above profits, that really is something that speaks more to consumers mm-hmm. and, and is valuable. 
But all of these are really trust signals, right? That's mm -hmm. the best way to think about it. And trust signals are great to, to sprinkle throughout your site. Um, you know, if you go and, and look at a footer, for instance, um, this is a spot that most brands forget about and treat as an afterthought. But most consumers go there, A, when they have a problem, they immediately go down and look at the footer for how do I solve my problem. And if you don't have trust signals there, they're already on shaky ground because they have a problem, right? So you want to kind of put them at ease at that point. Mm -hmm. um, it's also pre-purchase. A lot of people will go to the footer and say, okay, if I purchase, do I know I can get a hold of this brand? Are they forthcoming with their phone number, their email address, their physical address. We call that the trust trifecta. If you have all three of those, uh, you are immediately disarming most trust concerns because you're saying, I'm right here. I'm not going to go away. I'm not some fly-by-night operation. Um, I'm not going to take your money and run. If you have an issue, here's how you can get a hold of me. Uh, and that matters. Do you have any solutions for startup e-commerce brands that maybe don't have a physical shop that maybe don't want to put their phone number on mm -hmm. the internet? What do you do in that scenario? Well, phone numbers are actually pretty easy to come by now in a way. You know, you could go set up a Google voice number um, and it's included if you have Google Workspace. Um, you know, so those types of things are pretty easy. And, um, you know, or we use a service called Ruby Receptionist here in the United States that mm -hmm. it's like 25 bucks a month and they answer our phone and then take a message or patch it through to somebody's cell phone um, if it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so those type of customer support things can go a long way. And um, if you just get someone friendly to answer the phone for, you know, I mean, it really, it's, it's pretty inexpensive. Um, and that goes a long way to the consumer, even if they can't get it resolved right away. They at least know, hey, I've been heard. I'm in line. Somebody's going to get back to me. Yeah. Um, and then email, you know, of course, easy one to add on there. And physical address, I promise you nobody's going to show up. Um, you know, the, put your warehouse, um, put a P.O. box. That's OK. Um, it, I don't know if that's the same over overseas, yeah, yeah. but in the United yeah. States, you know, OK. Um, so, you know, the reality here is um, that the negatives are, are very, very low and the positives uh, far outweigh them. So yeah. it, it, it really makes sense to try to do it. It's interesting. You're talking, when I say, what are some of the mistakes? What should people do? I'm thinking, put this button here, put that button yeah. there. Yeah, you know, and you're coming at it from a very bigger, um, you know, top level kind of mindset that this is so much yeah. more about messaging and, uh, you know, communication. And mm -hmm. uh, is there a point where you get into the weeds of this button goes there and the color of that button? Or mm -hmm. is that just missing the point? Well, yes. Uh, when we work with brands, we do eventually get down to that level. The problem is, is that um, there's a million CRO checklists out there that are all saying, change this, do this, do that. Yeah. But they're just generic. It's not based on your visitors, your site's data. And that's the only way to really meaningfully and sustainably impact your conversions and your online sales is to focus on what your consumers want yeah. and understand that and then base your changes on those. Um, 
just looking at a checklist and and saying, hey, you know, don't do this, don't do this in very specific ways. You know, unfortunately, the number of brands that have come to us and said, hey, you know, we've been trying to do our own optimization and we've done all these best practices. Um, the reality is they don't change their thinking at all. Yeah. So they always end up at the same place. Mm. So that's why, you know, I wrote the latest book. It's all about how you should be thinking. It's not as tactical. Mm. It's more about here's nine key tenants that you need to really be paying attention to. Yeah. And if you follow these, um, I think I call them like laws throughout the, the book. Mm -hmm. If you follow these laws, you will, um, you'll have a lot more uh, ability to make decisions about what should be changed on your site. Yeah. And it will have a much meaningful, much more meaningful impact. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we'll leave a link to the book down in the uh, in the show notes in the description so people can pick that up. Um, I've actually I've got it on my Kindle. I, uh, I I've read. Um, I've been so slack with reading the last few months. Yeah. I can't remember if I'm halfway through or if I've finished it. But I, was, uh, <laughs> I just got so busy that I haven't uh, haven't picked it up in a, in a while, which is shameful. But I did uh, did uh, buy it when you when you launched it. It was yeah, yeah, thank you. It's a great resource, definitely. So we'll, we'll link to that. Um, talk to us about your experience with some of these bigger, you know, from sort of the beginner side you know you, you would work with some some huge brands mm. xerox adobe you mentioned uh, telegraph economist talk to us about how uh, how how different that is maybe to a, a starter mm. e-commerce site because a lot of that wouldn't even be e-commerce right that's media mm -hmm. content how how well, is that different right so conversion optimization really applies to any time there's a conversion point sure. so like with the telegraph um we helped optimize their paywall Okay. So after you read a couple of articles um, in a given time frame, you hit a paywall. And then what's the experience like for consumers from there? Nobody likes to hit a paywall. Everyone tries to get around it. There's so many plugins that help you. There's, you know, nobody, there's a whole industry around not, not having to deal with paywalls. But these publications, that's how they make their, their money, right? And so they want you to convert just as much as you don't want to have a paywall. Nobody wants to have a paywall. So how do you get around it? How do you um, make that a good experience for consumers? And that's really what we focused on. What we found in our research is most consumers are okay with a paywall when they've realized the value of what they've been reading. Yeah. So how do you communicate that value? How do you continue to provide value and reassure them that they're gonna continue to get that value and make it worth their investment? Um, and then how do you make it so easy that they really don't have to think about, um, you know, every time they come back to the site or, you know, um, just even getting through that initial conversion point. Yeah. Um, but again, the, you know, most people, when they think conversion optimization, think e-commerce. And so that's who we market to, um, because, you know, that's the vast majority of our business for sure. But, um, you know, even working with brands like Xerox. They're a great example of how even these massive corporations aren't thinking in the way they need to be thinking to convert customers. Um, that is the same as small brands. So the best way to think about this is uh, a story about you know, one day we were working with Xerox and uh, we came in and we had audited their entire experience of how to buy ink and toner through their site horrible experience you could never figure out what printer toner you needed 
uh, what was compatible, what the different model numbers were. Uh, you would go to uh, their toner page and be just a massive grid of different types. And you're like, I don't know which one my printer needs. Like you had to legit be an IT person who had a list and you say, okay, this printer in this room takes this toner. And if you didn't have that, you were just out of luck. And so what consumers were doing was they were going to a printer page and they would say, okay, on this printer page, it should tell me what toner I need. And either they had a printer that Xerox no longer sells and they had removed from their e-com site. So now they were screwed because they couldn't find the printer or the printer page just didn't list what toner it took because they included toner with the printer. So Xerox was like, man, you know, doesn't really matter. Um, we don't need to upsell that. So what we did is we went in and we found out all of this and the, and the pain that consumers were going through. And we said, look, I know you want to sell more printers, but nobody wants to buy a printer that they can't find supplies for very easily. And if you make it really easy to find supplies, you will sell more printers because the IT folks who are buying these for their businesses will want say, you know, it was really easy. I'm going to continue to buy these. And you're eliminating that pain point. In addition, you're leaving so much money on the table that you could be selling and recurring uh, revenue from these uh, supplies. So we came in and we said, okay, let's let's overhaul um, this this whole shopping experience for supplies and toner. And um, we sat down and we told them our plan. And the VP that was in the room said, no, we're, we're not going to make these changes. This is how we've always done it. And we just don't think that it, you know, that we should make these changes. I said, okay, um, I understand. This is how you've always done it. You charged us with coming back with how to increase your online revenues. This is a huge opportunity. And they said, yeah, you know, I just, I just think you should focus on selling printers. I said, okay, I get it. Give me a week. I'm going to come back and I will state my case and I'll have data to back it up. And they said, okay. And so we came back in a week. We had done a bunch of user testing. And what we did is um, we found IT folks who um, you know, are in charge of buying printers. And we had them go through the process of trying to find uh, the right supplies. for. We gave them a model of printer and to just find the right supplies. And the problem was that they kept, loot, they kept dropping off. They'd get frustrated and they'd leave. And so what we did was we took the average order value of a supplies purchase and we had a little ticker in the bottom left-hand corner. And every time someone dropped off, we just played highlight reels. Every time someone dropped off and said, you know what, forget this, I'm frustrated. I, there's no way I'm gonna be able to find the right one. We just added that average order value up. And we just, for five minutes, made a highlight reel that just kept going. We got three minutes into that video the next week we went back and the VP said, okay, you don't have to show me anything else. <laughs> and this so is why. It's just the fact that they don't have empathy or understanding of that consumer. They were inside yeah. the jar. They were mm. too close to their site and their experience and how they've always done it. And so, you know, even when you work with these large corporations, it's a lot of the exact same experience mm. um, as working with the smaller ones. Uh, that, that mindset shift just needs mm. to happen. You can't read the label from in the jar. It's a great takeaway for people to get some help and get someone to go through their site and, and check it out and give them some feedback, even if it's just a friend, right? You know, if you can't afford to employ the, you know, the global sensational services of the good, you know, um, they could uh, they could get a friend to look through the site and give them some feedback. Mm -hmm. um, is, that, is that something you would suggest or? 
Yeah, for sure. I think um, I wouldn't have a friend go. Um, I would try to find, you know, I recommend this to smaller brands all the time. Take your laptop to your local coffee shop, pull somebody aside and say, I will buy your coffee. If you spend two minutes while the barista makes your, your coffee, um, spend some time looking through my site and um, I'm just going to pull up my browser and I just want to look over your shoulder. I'm going to give you a direction. Hey, go find the best t-shirt for you. And then just stop and, and say, hey, as you're thinking about these things, can you think, can you talk out loud about why you're making this decision? Why you click on something like, oh, I think that this is going to get me the t-shirts. And then you get to the t-shirt collection page. How, why are you choosing those filters? Or is there a filter missing that you wish was there? Like, hey, I need to sort by size and I can't do that. I have to click into every product. You will very quickly understand the pain points from your consumer's perspective. And all it costs you is a cup of coffee and maybe an hour of your time to do that. So um, very, very valuable to start there. Mm-hmm. Um, but always start by talking to your consumers. Yeah, that's a genius idea. Very uh, actionable as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. real, real great thought. Um, is there anything maybe I haven't asked that you feel like would be really essential for people to know about the topic? Yeah, I think, uh, wow, we covered a lot today, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I don't think the answer, the short answer to that is no. But the, the you know, longer answer is really just um, find a way to always be talking to your consumers. Mm-hmm. It works at any stage of your company. Um, talk to your customer support folks, ask them what are the number one challenges that people have on the website, uh, log that, and then you know, um, start taking action. Mm. And just because you maybe don't have enough traffic or resources to do A-B testing, you can still optimize your site. Uh, there, there are lots of ways to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I would highly recommend to anybody listening to check out your, your you uh, have the teardowns, like recordings of them on your website, right, I think? Yeah, so just go to thegood.com and click on insights. And there's a whole encyclopedia of conversion up there from 13 years of content. Yeah. Um, you can search for any challenge you're having. And likely we have some related article up there or mm. research report or video um, and then the teardowns that we do are in there as well. Um, so you'll find those, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can also find a copy of the book up there uh, for purchase. Uh, you can get digital or have it shipped to you. Um, and uh, yeah, sign up for a weekly email that we have uh, where we share the content we produce that week. Uh, it's very rarely to never a sales pitch. I think once a year we run a promotion on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, that's really it. Yeah, no, it's a great newsletter. I get it every week and um, great content. And, and like I say, you know, that for me, I know I've gone on about them, but specifically the teardowns have, have just taught mm. me so much because it's you doing exactly what you're talking about. You are talking through what you're thinking as you're going mm. down a website. You know, the first time you've seen it, it's completely fresh to you and you're saying, well, that shouldn't be there and that's stupid and maybe not yeah. stupid, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and it's, uh, yeah, just to hear how your brain works. I've mm-hmm. just, learn so much from it so That's yeah cool. highly recommend everyone checks them out and I we will link that, to uh to all of that uh john thanks so much for taking the time out i know you're super busy and traveling loads so uh yeah really appreciate yeah. you coming on the show today of course uh, happy to be here i appreciate it awesome well guys check out all of the links in the description below would highly encourage getting signed up to that newsletter checking john's book out watching all those teardowns because there's so much to learn thanks for joining us on another episode and we'll see you in the next episode next week <laughs>